So last time we took the church in kind of a different direction. I want to see if you can see the connection to what we did last week and what we're going to do this week. So first we had a first vision. We restore the knowledge of God, his character. And then comes truth, the restoration of truth. We gain priesthood keys, which allows us to perform ordinances. Now we have a church. And that church, one of the missions of that church is to gather all the righteous into a city of safety as this world kind of destroys itself in preparation for the second coming, we're going to build a city of safety where all the righteous can dwell. But we have to be the right people to build that city. So that's kind of where we took it last time. <clears throat> but I want to take it a, a complementary direction today and show you how those two work together. So what would be one of the next major events absolutely crucial that we understand the, uh, the outrolling of the restoration. Now that we have a church, the next, one of the next major events, we go to Kirtland and we build a temple. Now we're going to get to endowment temples later. We'll call that Nauvoo Temple. How many endowments did we do in Kirtland Temple? Zip, zilcho. We didn't seal any couples. We didn't do any endowments. We didn't do any preparatory, initiatory work. That was not the purpose of the Kirtland temple. We'll do Nauvoo in a minute, we'll do, we'll, in another class. But why did we build the Kirtland temple? And why is that so crucial that that one came first? We did not build a temple in Kirtland to restore endowments. We built a temple in Kirtland to receive keys. The whole purpose of that temple, and if it fell out of our hands and into other people's hands, that's fine. I wish we owned it, and someday I hope we will, but it served its purpose because we got the keys, and even though we left and the building stayed, that's fine. But we built the Kirtland Temple to receive three very important keys that have to do with the destiny of this church from here on out. Now, one of those three keys is what we talked about last week. So let's understand the other key and the key that connects the three of them. So turn with me to section 110, perhaps one of the great contributions of the restoration. And we have to understand the significance of what happened in that Kirtland temple. So section 110, after the dedication of the temple, four people come to Joseph and four people come into the Kirtland temple. Who's the first one? Section 110. The Savior comes basically to say what, Jay? I accept, this I accept it. Well done. This is now my house. And now that he's accepted it, he can send the other three. So the Savior comes first and in verse 7 says, I accept this house. My name shall be here. I will manifest myself to my people in mercy. I will appear unto my servants. This is my house. Now, as soon as it's his house, Four or three other people come. The first one in verse 11 is Moses. Now tell me what Moses did. He gathered Israel and got them into a safe place, right? He got them out of Egypt and into a safe place where they built a temple and communed with God. Now, everything we talked about last week, do you, see the do you see the symbolism of Moses in what we talked about last week? That the keys of Moses are going to allow us to gather all the righteous, pull them out of the Egypts of the world, take them into a safe place where there's a temple and we can commune with God. That's everything we talked about last week. The keys of Moses. All right, next, verse 12. I need all, I, this is where the music crescendos. This is where the drums are playing and everything's getting loud. Who comes next? 
And this is where we don't talk. This is where we just don't have these discussions. Who comes next? Elias. Now, I don't know. That's a title. We don't know who he was, but we know what he brought. Tell me what Elias brought. The gospel of Abraham. Now, we will finish this discussion in a moment, but we need to understand why that is so significant. Why is it significant that in the Kirtland Temple, Joseph received the dispensation of Abraham? So let's talk about the Abrahamic covenant. What did Abraham do? What role did Abraham play? Allow me to set this up using my own personal family, okay? So here's my dad, Jetty, and here's my dad, Tracy. My dad's passed away. They have five living children. One passed away. This is my sister, Kim. This is me, Melissa, David, and Amber. Now, let's suppose my dad is worried about the future and keeping the family together and an inheritance and what's going to happen when he passes away. Now, for the sake of discussion, let's suppose my dad is worth $300,000. How could he divide up his inheritance? How could he divide up his possessions and pass that on to his children? Probably the most common way in our society is to do what? Spread it evenly, right? So if we were to divide by five, everyone would get $60,000. And no one would get anything else, and it would be nice and even and no arguing. So the positive is there's no favoritism. No one feels gypped. Everyone got the same. Does anyone see a negative? Let me tell you the negative from my dad's perspective. Does the Jetty Dunford family stay together? No. Because? Who's in charge? Who keeps the family together? If it stays together, it's just happens chance. Because there is no one in charge. The advantage of this is that everyone is equal. No one gets favoritism, no arguing, no one feeling left out, but the family falls apart. Odds are that family doesn't stay together, right? Maybe a Christmas party once in a while, but there is no head. So let me throw an alternate way out. What if my dad decides, I want the Jed Dunford to stay, family to stay together? So I'm going to divide by six and I'm going to give Kim a double portion. Kim would get $100,000 and all of the rest of us would get 50. Now your first thought would be what? But hold on, hold on. What does Kim get with the $100,000? Wants to keep the family together. Kim is my father, my mother's representative at keeping the family together. So my dad has, out, my mom outlived my dad. My dad is gone. Who takes care of mom? Kim. Now, what if that's a financial burden? What if my mom has a lot of medical expenses? Is that okay? Because Kim was accounted something for that. Now, this may, we may, we have to overcome the feelings of inequality here, but the reality is the Jed Dunford family stays together because Kim has the means to do it and the responsibility to do it. So what happens if Amber runs out of the 50,000 and has an emergency and needs more help? Is she on her own? She's not. Who does she go to? She goes to Kim. And Kim will take care of her, right? Now, which one of these did Heavenly Father choose? 
He did not choose this. He wanted his family cared for. So he chose a Kim. He said, Kim, I'm going to give you extra. Unless the rest of you think that's favoritism, it's not. Kim, I'm going to give you a very heavy responsibility that no one else has. And Heavenly Father chose a Kim. Can anyone tell me the name of Heavenly Father's Kim? Abraham. He said, Abraham, your family, your family is going to take care of everyone else. So there's no way Abraham can do that without an extra portion. Would you agree? But lest anyone think the extra portion means favoritism, Abraham has a tremendous burden on his shoulders. Abraham has to save the family of God. So let's look at that covenant, the covenant of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to break this down into, okay, what blessings was he offered and what task was he asked to fulfill? What is the Abrahamic covenant? All right. So turn with me to Abraham chapter one. So let's do this. Let's divide this into blessings. No, I want this one over here. Let's do blessings. Abraham, this is what I will offer you in order to do the task. And this is the task. Responsibilities. So what did God give or offer Abraham? All right, Pearl of Great Price, Abraham chapter one. Um, let me get there. Okay, let's start in verse 16. This is where Abraham's down on that altar. His life is being threatened. He's going to be killed. And Jehovah comes down, verse 16. Now, I would love to just focus on just the broad general blessings for Abraham. I've just highlighted these as kind of like one word or one, a few word phrases. His voice was unto me, Abraham, Abraham, behold, my name is Jehovah, and I have heard thee. One of the blessings of Abraham is quick access to God. I will have a special ear for when you cry. Again, don't see favoritism. See that balanced out with responsibility. But Abraham, you have my ear. Number two, I will deliver you. This world is coming after you and it's a dangerous place and I will deliver you. And then number three, at the end of verse 16, I have a special place. Now, this is, this is where you start thinking Zion, okay? This is where you start thinking what we talked about last week. I have a special place. Abraham got a place, a special place. And it was a place of protection where he has God's ear. Jump to verse 18. I will lead thee by my hand. Abraham, you get special treatment. I will be with you. I will put upon you my name. Why do you put something on? Why do you put your name on something? What are you saying to everyone else? This is mine. Leave it alone. You mess with this. You mess with me. God put his name on Abraham. He's mine. You mess with him. You mess with me. I will. I promise. Now, this next one is a significant. I promise you, Abraham, every blessing of the priesthood. Every blessing. Tell me why we're building temples all over the world. Because Abraham is claiming his blessings of the temple. The Lord says, I, I, I covenant with you that I will make the blessings of the temple and all covenants, all priesthood blessings available to you, including eternal marriage. 
If I am a son of Abraham, I can rest assured that God is making eternal marriage available to me. He will help me find an eternal companion and he will allow me to go in and perform that ordinance. As a son of Abraham, I can claim that blessing. All the priesthood blessings. And end of verse 18, give me another word. We're starting to see some P words here. So allow me to put these in terms of P words. Abraham, I will bless you with protection and prosperity. I will bless you with a place, a special place. I will bless you with priesthood. And now that end of verse 18, he adds, I will bless you with power. And one thing we won't take time to get into really, but he promised him posterity. Those are the blessings given to Abraham. Protection, prosperity, power, priesthood, a place, and posterity. Now that will enable you to do the work. Now one more, look at the beginning of verse 19. Think about Zion. Think about the pattern of the ancient Enoch Zion being saved when the earth was destroyed and the modern Zion being saved when the earth is destroyed. He says, as it was with Noah, so shall it be with thee. Do you see that all the, everything we talked about last week, you are the group that will be preserved from the destruction. Tell me the next word. As it was with Noah, so shall it be with thee. But. So what's going to come next? Here is what I ask, Abraham. This is what I ask of you. Statement number one. To be a member of the covenant, to inherit the covenant of Abraham, I vow what? Make his name known. Where? In all the earth. That is Abraham's responsibility. Through thy ministry shall my name be known in all the earth forever. You've got to tell him who I am. Abraham's chief responsibility is to tell the world who he is. All right, jump to chapter two. There's the first one. Abraham chapter two, we pick it up in verse six. Now notice the, the key words. He, he said, through thy ministry, my name shall be known in all the earth. What does he add in verse six? Let's add one concept. Abraham, do you understand? Do you understand what I'm talking about? I don't mean my name shall be known in Kearns. I mean my name shall be known in Korea. Do you understand the concept, Abraham? Where, what does he add in verse 6? Notice he says, minister, bear his name. But what does he add this time? You've got to go everywhere, Abraham. You've got to go to all of the strange lands. So, Caitlin, where are you going? El Salvador. Who went where? Jay? Taiwan. Taiwan. Texas. Tennessee. Mexico, Mexico City. Abraham has the responsibility to take the gospel where? Every continent, every land, and everyone has a right to hear it in their own language. So that means Abraham has to learn every language. That is Abraham's responsibility. Go to the strange land. Take the gospel 
out to the world. And verse 9, what do we take with us? Not only is it make his name known. Tell me what it says in verse 9. I will make of thee a great nation. That's a blessing. I will bless thee above measure. That's a blessing. I will make thy name great among all nations. Thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, that in their hands they shall bear this ministry. And so, Abraham, you're not just taking his name. You're not just going and being nice. You are taking the covenants of the gospel to the world. You need to perform all the ordinances. Take the covenants of the gospel. So take the priesthood to them. That's why we're building temples everywhere. Because Abraham is supposed to take the priesthood to every strange land he's been sent. So we baptize them and we perform the confirmations. We give them the gift of the Holy Ghost and we, we give them priesthood keys and we send them into the temple to be endowed. That is Abraham's obligation is to bless the world with the priesthood. Now, to what end? This is a means. And the end is God's purpose. So verse 11 has what might be the most important verse about the Abrahamic covenant in all of Scripture. Abraham's responsibility was to do what? Read through 11. The whole purpose of God, the whole reason we created this earth God's purpose is to do what? Exalt families. The whole purpose of the work of God is to exalt families. Bless all the families of the earth with three things. The obligation of Abraham is to bless all the families of the earth with what three things? The gospel, salvation, and eternal life. What's the relationship between those last two? Salvation and eternal life. Salvation is an individual affair. Salvation is resurrection and a kingdom of glory. You can go to a kingdom of glory all along. Salvation is getting you a kingdom of glory. Can you go to the celestial kingdom alone, without a companion, without a family? Yes, you can. Salvation is an individual affair. Exaltation, on the other hand, is what? A family affair. If your goal is salvation, if your goal is a kingdom of glory, Heavenly Father has a wonderful kingdom of glory and you don't need to find anyone along the way. But if your goal is to end up where, if your destination is His destination, if you want to end up where He is and obtain all that He sent Abraham to offer you, that means what? Families. Exaltation is a family affair. Can you go to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom? Can you inherit eternal life alone? You cannot. There are no exceptions. Is Jesus an exception? Can Jesus be exalted without a wife? He cannot. Whenever that happened, we don't know, but at some point along the way, he has to form an eternal family. The purpose of this earth is to create eternal families. In fact, well, let's, we'll, pay, we'll pause. But do you see the blessing? So Abraham was told, make his name known, go all over the world, take the priesthood so that families are blessed with eternal life. All right, Abraham receives that promise, passes it on to 
Isaac. We go from Abraham to Isaac. The Lord renews the promise with Isaac. Isaac passes it on to Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. So now the house of Israel has that promise. Israel, or Jacob, gives it specifically to Joseph. Joseph gives it specifically to Ephraim. To whom did Ephraim give it? Trick question. Ephraim never passed it on because as of Ephraim, it became a tribe. It wasn't an individual anymore. It is now the tribe. Who is the birthright tribe? It is Ephraim. Ephraim is the birthright tribe. And if you really want to, I mean, Joseph is the birthright tribe. So fast forward. Tell me what Elias brought. Tell me what Elias brought. The church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is what? The birthright. Primarily made up of which tribe? Those of you from Ephraim, raise your hand. The church of, on, on, on this day, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was given what responsibility? Make his name known in all the world. Everywhere, take the priesthood so that what? What's the main point of all this? Is so that families can be sealed. Okay, so now we have, go get them. And you are the birthright. You have this responsibility. Take charge of it. Everyone who joins the church inherits the birthright blessing. Everyone from Abraham, when they join the church, has an increased responsibility to do these things. My patriarchal blessing says, I am of Abraham all three ways. I've joined the church. I hold an office in the priesthood, and I am a literal descendant of Abraham. Abraham's blood flows in my veins. I inherit the Abrahamic covenant. I inherit the Abrahamic responsibility. Now, what is my main purpose? Is to save families. So now we need one more person. Do you see the connection? Do you see the connection? We've got to gather them into a safe place. We have the responsibility and the blessings to do it, but it won't mean anything unless what? So go back to section 110. None of this will matter. None of this. Having the Abrahamic covenant won't matter squat if we can't do what? exalt families. The whole purpose of gathering is to exalt families. The whole purpose of putting us in charge of the families of the earth is to exalt families. And so who's the third person who comes? Elijah, who has what keys? What does Elijah bring? Elijah brings the ability to make it eternal to seal a family. So gather them and seal them. And you're, you have the responsibility to do it. Do you see how they're all connected? So last week we talked about what key? Last week we talked about gathering the righteous into a city. But what's the whole purpose of gathering them? What's the whole purpose of coming to Zion? It's to establish eternal families. Turn to the very first section of the Doctrine and Covenants chronologically. That's a quiz. 
Turn to the very first section of the Doctrine and Covenants chronologically. If you need to go to your table of contents that shows them in chronological order, that's fine. But find the very first chronological section of the Doctrine and Covenants. It is not section one. Section one was given a year and a half after the church was organized to kick off the publication of the revelations. The Lord gave section one and what was supposed to be the appendix, but became section 133. The very first chronological section is section two. It was given by Moroni to a 17-year-old kid. The very first section of the Doctrine and Covenants says what? Who will read it for me? Tell me your name. I don't know you. Uh, Paul. Paul. Paul's going to read it. Pause. The very first section of the Doctrine and Covenant says, I'm sending you Elijah. I am sending you Elijah so that you who will inherit the Abrahamic covenant can do something significant. Now, if you don't, keep going. Uh, and he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers and the hearts of the Pause. The fathers are, who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Elijah will plant in our hearts the covenant. We will yearn for the covenant. I want to be part of the covenant. I long for the blessings of the priesthood. I need his protection and his power. The fathers. Elijah will plant in our hearts a desire for the covenants. Keep going. To who? Their fathers. Who are their fathers? My ancestors. I owe them a debt. What debt do I owe my ancestors? I have Elijah's keys and my life is your gift to me. You brought me here to this country. You brought me to this earth. My life is your gift to me. Therefore, my gift to you are the keys of Elijah. You see the relationship? My heart turns to the fathers, so I inherit the promises, and then my heart turns to my fathers, so I can bless them as an eternal family. Now, if I don't do that, if we don't do that, read the rest of this verse. You're good. Um, if it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. If we do not seal families, this whole earth was what? A waste. This whole earth was a waste. Because what was the reason we made the earth? What was the reason we created the earth? To make eternal families. Now, if you don't want an eternal family, Heavenly Father has a kingdom of glory for you. He loves you. He wants you to be happy. And if you don't want an eternal family, there's a kingdom of glory. But that's not where he dwells. If your destination is his destination, that requires an eternal family. And that's not just mean find a companion. It means be a companion. Every gospel covenant, every single gospel covenant has what purpose? Create eternal families that work. Now, I know that's a sensitive subject and families get broken and we all struggle. When you put human beings really close together, what do they do? The closer they are together, the more they bang into each other. But we've got to figure this out. If you failed, it's okay. Get up, dust yourself off, and figure it out. This whole earth will be a waste if we don't create eternal families. We have the responsibility to do it. We got that from Elijah, Elias. 
we have the right to go get them and to build Zion and to bring them safely into a, a place. And we have the keys to seal them. Now, what if we succeed with this mission and we fail with this mission? Then this mission was a waste. Do you see the preeminence of this? So let me show you a pattern. Just like what we did. Let, we walked through the Doctrine and Covenants to see the vision of Zion. Let me walk you through the Doctrine and Covenants so you can see another one. So section two, he says, I'm going to send you Elijah to seal families. And if we don't, the whole earth was a waste. Now go to section 13, the restoration of the Aaronic priesthood. There was a fascinating promise given when the priesthood was restored to earth. Let's read it. Section 13. John the Baptist said to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, upon you, my fellow servants, I confer the priesthood of Aaron. And then he talks about the keys of the priesthood of Aaron. And then he says, he gives what promise? What promise does he give? This priesthood is being restored and won't be removed. This priesthood will not leave the earth until the sons of... Let, let's break this down. Can I erase this? I need this to be gone. You got the Abrahamic covenant? Okay, so let me erase this because now we're going to focus on that Abrahamic promise to seal families. Our responsibility and the reason we've been blessed abundantly, the reason I am where I am, the reason I was born when and where and under the circumstances, my whole life is his blessing so that I can now bless all families of the earth with exaltation. So, how do we do that? All right, sorry, I can't do this. I got to make sure it's clean. All right, so section 13, give me the key words. Sons of Levi, which would make it sound like it's an Aaronic priesthood thing. Hold on, hold on. Sons of Levi will do what? They will offer an offering. Any other keywords? Okay, so it has to be done in righteousness. And tell me about the offering. Oh, we'll get to that one. That's right. That's what we have, right? That's what we have in section 13. Sons of Levi will offer an offering in righteousness. Now, total side note, I don't want to get into Joseph against Oliver. I don't think it's a competition. Joseph uses the word until the priesthood will not be restored until turn to the pearl of great price at the very end of joseph smith history is oliver cowdery's rendition of this story it's where the print goes small see where the font changes so go to joseph smith history pearl of great price joseph smith history go all the way down to the end after the verses end and the font changes this is Oliver Cowdery's rendition. Now go to the second to last paragraph. Oliver didn't use the word until. Tell me what word he used. That. Joseph says the priesthood will not be lifted from the earth until Oliver uses the word that. Do you see it in that paragraph? Upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah, confer the priesthood of Aaron and this authority, which shall remain upon earth. That. Now tell me what that, that's a subtle change, but what does it seem to suggest? The whole purpose of the priesthood is to make this offering. The whole purpose of the priesthood is to make this offering. And the priesthood won't go anywhere until we do. That's significant. He restored the priesthood so that we can make this offering. All right, let's add to it. Let's go to section 84. Um, what offering? Ha <laughs> ha, that's where we're going. Okay. okay. 
That's great. This is where exactly where we're going. Section 84. We're going to add some words to it. Section 84. This is where he restores the oath and covenant of the priesthood. But in speaking of the oath and covenant of the priesthood, which starts in verse 33, go to verse 31. Now, so in section 84, tell me what changes he makes. Therefore, as I said concerning the sons of Moses, for the sons of Moses and also the sons of Aaron shall offer an acceptable offering. So what did he do? He added Melchizedek. Now, it makes sense that John the Baptist would say Levi because he was restoring Levitical priesthood and we didn't have the Melchizedek priesthood. But now we add sons of Moses and the sons of Aaron shall offer. We still have offering. It still has to be done in righteousness. But tell me what else he adds. Two phrases. Put, look at the rest of verse 31 and tell me what he adds. Two concepts are added. Jay, you have one? In the house. In the house. In the temple. Not out in front like in Old Testament times. We are going to make an offering in the temple. And it has to be, what's the last word we add? It has to be acceptable. It has to be not just done in righteousness, but it has to be acceptable. Do we get it all? So 84, he says, look, this isn't an ironic priesthood thing. This is a every priesthood thing. And it's going to be done in the temple. All right. Now go to 128. 128, which is a letter from Joseph Smith. Watch Joseph lay out his understanding of what this offering is. Now, could it be many things? Yes, there's no question. It's probably fulfilled in many ways. Some of the, ancient, some of the previous prophets have talked about a literal restoration of the Aaronic priesthood ordinances. I am in no way trying to suggest that that's not correct. There's probably multiple fulfillments, but I just want to share Joseph Smith's understanding of this offering. Section 128. Notice, again, we're talking about Elijah. Verse 18. Well, let's read verse 17. In connection with this quotation, I will give you a quotation. One of the prophets who had his eye fixed on the restoration of the priesthood. The glories to be revealed in the last days and in a special manner, the most glorious of all subjects belonging to the everlasting gospel, naming the baptism for the dead. For Malachi, last chapter, fifth verse, six, fifth and sixth verse said, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Verse 18, I might have rendered a plainer translation. Notice that the the Moroni version is a little bit different. I could have rendered a plainer transition, but it is sufficiently plain to suit my purposes as it stands. It is sufficient to know in this case that the earth will be smitten with a curse unless there is a welding link of some kind or other between the fathers and the children upon some subject. And what is that subject? The baptism for the dead. For we without them cannot be made perfect, neither can they with, without us. If we don't seal families, if we don't create eternal family units, this whole earth was a waste. Now, last verse. Sorry, verse 24, not the last, second to last. Behold, the great day of the Lord is at hand. Who can abide the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appeareth? For he is a refiner's, he is like refiner's fire and like fuller soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Now think about what we talked about in Zion. Refiner, purifier. Why have we hit the pause button? He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they, notice it's that, 
that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now watch what Joseph Smith does. Let us therefore, as a church and as a people and as Latter-day Saints. So tell me what he just did. He was not talking about holders of the priesthood. He did not limit this offering to those who hold offices. He is saying the reason we're going to use the Aaronic priesthood and we're going to use the Aaronic Melchizedek priesthood to offer this offering. This offering is to be made by the church. It is not a Melchizedek priesthood offering. It is the church using the Melchizedek priesthood to make the offering. As a church and as a people and as Latter-day Saints, what did Joseph Smith see as the offering? Read it. And let us present in this in his holy temple when it is finished a book containing the records of our dead which shall be worthy of all exception. That's the offering. Everyone's work is done. We have gathered all the records and everyone's work is done. Now, let me show you a sacred moment in the temple. In the temple, we form a circle. And that circle represents the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And our work is to do what? What do we do in that circle? We put a list of names on the altar. Do you see the big picture? Why are you in Institute tonight? To finish that book. Why did you go on a mission? To finish that book. Why study the scriptures? Why do come follow me? To finish that book. First and foremost, whose name do I need in that book? For me, the first and most important name to put in that book is me. I will get my name in that book. And then I will spend the rest of my life obsessed with getting my family first. Now, here's a fascinating little insight. I'm out of boards. When I was sealed in the temple, we kind of mentioned this one day. Let me go back to when I was sealed in the temple. Here's the altar. And that was me and that was my wife carved into the carpet around that altar was a circle. And I realized that that is the center circle of my life. Now, who's the main person in that circle? My wife. My life is about getting me and getting her to exaltation. The most important work I do is not here in this institute. It is when I go home to do everything in my power to make sure the two of us inherit eternal life. I don't want my name in that book alone. If my name is in that book alone, then my whole life was what? A waste. I want her name in the book. Now, if you've ever been sealed, what happens to a family that gets sealed? One by one, what do you do? One by one, you bring the children into that circle. So after my wife, after me and my wife, who now becomes my greatest obsession to get into that book? First, Ashley. What am I doing today to get Ashley in that book? who now has a husband and three children of her own. They need to be in the book. And then Brittany, and then Spencer, and then Mackenzie, and then Trevor, and then Hallie, and then Logan, and then Corbin, and then Keegan, and then Owen. I will spend my life getting my 10 
in that book. And each one of them needs a spouse, so there's another 10. And if they all have 10 children, there's 100. The Dunfords are going to take a big portion of this book. But do you see my life's mission? Now, here's what's interesting. We were in a ceiling room. Who was in that ceiling room when I got sealed? My children weren't born yet. This was just my wife and I. <laughs> Who was in the rest of the room? My mom. Well, she was here. Her mom, my dad, her dad, my sister. After my inner circle, after I've obsessed with getting their names in that book, who's the next circle I focus on? My extended family. My mom, my my, my grandparents, and I'm going to go back as far as the records will allow me. And then this is a ceiling room in the temple. Who's my next circle? The rest of the church. That's why I'm here tonight. That's why I'm at Institute trying to get your name into the book. And then what's the next circle? The rest of the world. So I went to Mexico and, and just, can I get your name in the book? Anyone want to get a name in the book? Please come talk to me. And they didn't. And so I went to them. Do you see the mission of the church? Do you see why we exist and everything coming together? So we talked about a physical gathering into a safe place. But we've got to do this. We've got to save the families of the earth. We've got to seal them. If we don't, this whole earth was a waste. It is my testimony to you that if my family is not in that book, my whole life was a waste. I believe that with every fiber of my being. If my family is not in that book, my life was a waste. So I will waste and wear out my life getting my family into that book. And then yours. And then everyone else's. Do you see the purpose? We need to gather. We need to build Zion. That's an important part of our work. But the most important part of our work is to create eternal family units and to seal them. Let me leave you with two fun little quotations. First one is what I call the parable of the keys. Here is the parable of the keys. Ready? Once there was a little boy and a little girl who loved Jesus very much, and he loved them. They were kind and always told the truth, and whatever Jesus wanted them to do, they tried their best to do. You may come to my house, Jesus told them one day, and there I will give you a gift. They put on their best clothes, made sure they were clean. They went to Jesus' house. It was a beautiful house, and it made them feel, you know what, I'm going to share this. You can read it with me. We'll read it together. They put on their best clothes, made sure they were clean, and went to Jesus' house. It was a beautiful house, and it made them feel beautiful, too, just to be inside. They met Jesus, and he gave them his gift. It was a key, a wonderful key. Take care of this key, he said. Put it next to your heart. Don't let it tarnish or get rusty. Always keep it with you. One day it will open a wonderful door. Whenever you wish, you may return to my house, but each time I will ask to see the key. They promised him they would, and they went home. They returned often to Jesus' house, and each time he asked if they still had the key, and they always did. One day he asked if they would follow him. He led them to a hill covered with green grass and trees. On top of the hill was a mansion in the middle of a beautiful garden. Even in their wildest dreams, they had never imagined anything so magnificent. Who lives here, they asked him. You may, he answered. 
This is your eternal home. I've been building it for you. The key I gave you fits a lock in the front door. Now run up the path and put your key into the lock. They ran up the hill and through the garden to the front door. If it's this beautiful on the outside, they said, it must be more wonderful inside. But when they reached the front door, they stopped. It was the strangest door they had ever seen. Instead of one lock, the door was covered with locks, hundreds of locks, thousands of locks. And they had only one key. They put their key into one of the locks. It wouldn't fit. They put it into another. It didn't fit that one either. They tried many different locks. Finally, they found the one that fit. They turned the key and the lock clicked, but the door wouldn't open. They ran back to Jesus. We cannot open the door, they said. It is covered with locks and we have only one key. He smiled at them and said, do you think you'll be happy living in your mansion all alone? Is there anyone you would like to live with you there? They thought for a while and then said, we'd like our families to live with us. Go and find them, he said. Invite them to my house and I will give each one their very own key. Soon you will have many keys. They rushed out eagerly to find their families. They found their fathers and mothers, their brothers and sisters, all their cousins, and brought them to Jesus's house. Just as he promised, he gave each one a key. When they had all been given a key, together they returned to the great door of the mansion. Now they had dozens of keys, but there were thousands of locks and the door still wouldn't open. They needed more keys. Once again, they returned to Jesus. We have brought our families, they said, but the, store deal, the door still won't open. Do your parents have a mother and father and brother and sisters? He asked them. Do you think they will be happy living in the beautiful mansion without them? If you look hard enough, you will find many, many people. Bring them all to my house and I will give each one a key. They looked very hard, just as Jesus had told them. They found mothers and fathers. They found brothers and sisters. They found grandmas and grandpas. They found great-great-grandmothers and great-great-great-grandfathers. They found aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and cousins. They found them in big cities. They found them in tiny villages. Some lived by the seashore, some lived on the open prairie, some lived near the mountains, some lived far across the ocean, and some lived close just over the next hill. Some were blacksmiths and some were farmers. There were cobblers and tailors and fishermen. There were teachers and mechanics and shopkeepers. Some were tall with strange looking hats. Others were short and wore wooden shoes. They spoke different languages and came from different countries. They found some with long blonde hair that, had, that hung far down their backs in braids. They found some with short red hair that stuck straight up and had to be hidden under a hat. The boy and girl searched until they had found everybody and all their families. They brought all the fathers and mothers, the brothers and sisters, the aunts and uncles, the nieces and nephews, the grandmothers and grandfathers to Jesus's house. Inside, he gave each one his or her own key. Soon they, all the families were gathered before the great door. There was a lock for every key. They turned the keys, but the door remained locked. There was one final lock, a great big one, right in the middle of the door, and no one had its key. The boy and girl returned to Jesus. We have found all our families, they said, but the door still won't open. We're missing a key, and we don't know where to find it. Jesus smiled. He put his arms around them and gave each one a kiss. I have that last key, he said, and he held it up. It was bright and shiny and beautiful. This is the key of my atonement, he said. Am I not a member of the family? Do you think you will be happy living in your mansion without me? Do you think I would be happy living without you? Now that you have found the whole family, all my brothers and sisters, all our father's children, together we will enter our eternal home, for home will always be where families live and love together. He took their hands and the whole family opened the door, entered the mansion, and spent an eternity of happiness together. Do you see why there is a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Let me do another one. This is Boyd K. Packer. Whenever I'm in South America, that seems to be very often. I'm always looking for someone. I saw him first 14 years ago. 
Brother Tuttle and I were in Cusco at a meeting of the branch. The meeting was held in a little room and a door opened onto the street at Cusco at an an elevation of 13,000 feet. You know what we are here? 45. (laughs) Cusco, Peru, 13,000 feet. It is bitterly cold at night. The room was packed and the door was open a little to let some air in. Brother Tuttle was speaking. Against the wall was a little sacrament table. As Brother Tuttle was speaking, I saw a little boy, perhaps six years old, come in the back door, perhaps for the warmth. He had on a ragged shirt, and that was all. His little feet were so callous that it was hard to tell he had toes that were separated from one another. Then he saw the sacrament table and the bread. He was inching along the wall as almost, and was almost to the sacrament table when a woman sitting in about the third row saw him from the corner of her eye. Without saying a word, but with just a look and a shake of her head, she conveyed the message, get out of here, you don't belong here. And that little fellow turned and ran out into the night. Before Brother Tuttle had finished, the little boy appeared at the door. And again, I suppose, driven by that same hunger, he edged along the wall. He was almost to the place where that woman would see him again. He was studying us very carefully. I held out my arms to him and he came willingly. I picked him up and held him. And then to teach our Lamanite members in Cusco a lesson, I set him in the chair that had been reserved for Brother Tuttle. When the meeting was closed, the little boy darted out into the night before I could talk to him or do anything for him. So every time I'm in South America, I'm looking for him. He's old enough now, I'm sure, to be married. When I'm in a missionary meeting, I look for him and wonder, could it be, could this elder be that boy or could that one? I watch for him in the marketplace as we travel. I look for him in the streets. Some say it's a futile search that I'll never find him. But in this church, we will find him. If we have to sift through every soul in South America, some say perhaps he died and you'll never find him. To them, we say we'll find him. We will gather the names of every soul who ever lived and bring them to the temple. Perhaps his son will bring his name. We will find him. Others will say perhaps no record was kept. In that case, we'll depend on revelation. We're looking for him with all the resources we can find. We send tens of missionaries, hundreds of missionaries, thousands of missionaries to find him. You must look for him. You belong to something incredible. We are Abraham. We are in charge of all of Heavenly Father's children. And if I can be so bold, you have been given a pretty dang good life as Abraham. Your obligation is to live that responsibility and save his children. Some of you can go to Mexico, but those of you who can't can go to Sunday school. You can hold the calling in this church. You can talk to your neighbors. You can find your family. It is a heavy responsibility we bear, but someday we are gonna lay that book on the altar. We are gonna lay the book on the altar worthy of all acceptation, a book that contains all of our records. If your name is not in that book. If your family is not in that book, your life was a waste. Now that doesn't mean they're in the kingdom of glory for people to go to. I get that. Heavenly Father wants His children to be happy and He has multiple kingdoms of glory. But I don't think you want any of those kingdoms. I think what you want is eternal life and you need an eternal family. Families get messy. We hurt each other. So we forgive, we repent, 
We learn, we grow, we get better. We get better at family because the goal is family. We can overcome the mistakes we made. I testify, we can overcome divorce. We can overcome a lot of the problems that we've created, but the goal is family. Don't give up on that goal. And don't give up on getting your family and everyone you can into that book. It is the most important thing we do. Of that, I stand as a witness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.